Thank you, Jim. And good morning to my brothers and sisters. It's good to see all of you here today. It's, uh, there's a reason they call us elders. When you see Joel come up here, he's got the sling, he's got the cast, and I kind of limp up here. Now, Jim, he looked great today, so maybe Jim's not really an elder anymore. But uh, anyway, I want to promise you that we are not all sinking into the sunset, and Joel is going to fully recover, and so am I, and so if you were worried about such a thing. Now, if you're a fish and you're always swimming in water, living in water, and all your activities are in the water, you eat, you play, you sleep, you literally breathe the water, do you ever realize that you're wet? Of course, you're a fish, probably not, right? If somehow you did realize it, would you even care? Probably not if you're a fish. It's all you've ever known. No one has told you that you're a fish and that you're all wet. You're always all wet. You've never experienced dry. Now, if you happen to have been caught by a fisherman and then thrown back, you may realize that all of a sudden you can't breathe and you feel like you're going to die. But chances are, once you're back in the water, you don't realize that, hey, this being dry thing is not such a good thing if I'm a fish, so I'm going to keep swimming in wet. Of course, the moment, if you're a fish, that you fully realize that you're dry, if you're a fish, you die at that moment because you can't live without the wet stuff. It's what you live and it's what you breathe. Now, think with me this morning a little bit about this analogy. How do you know you are wet? Remember these questions as we move along. Believe it or not, there's a real point to this, okay? If you have your Bibles, you might turn with me this morning to Psalm chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bibles, I'll read it anyway. So, uh, Jim Grinnell referenced this psalm in his message a few weeks ago, and he made it in reference to this point from Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and he, where, he, uh, where it says, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. That was one of the points in Jim's message. And his point of emphasis in that section of his message was the vital importance of the Word of God in the life of a believer. So important that we need to keep his teaching as the apple of our eye. As the apple of your eye, what does that mean? It's something precious. It's something critical for those of us who are in Christ. It's critical to our spiritual well-being and it's life-giving. Of course, in this context, the words, my teaching, are referring to wisdom, and wisdom is found in the Word of God, referred to here in Proverbs as His words and commandments. Now, Google may be the source of almost all knowledge, but it's only an occasional source of wisdom. And a lot of what you find through Google searches is actually the opposite of wisdom. The focal point of Psalm 1 is the Word of God. It's the central theme of this very short six-verse psalm. And this psalm paints a very clear contrast between those who delight in God's Word on the one hand, acknowledging its power and authority in their lives, and those who do not. So let's look at this now. We're looking at Psalm 1. I'll read this to you, all six verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the water, by the streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we see here a very significant, a very real contrast. It's a contrast as completely opposite as wet versus dry. And the psalmist paints quite a sobering picture of what it's like to be swimming in the world, to be all wet culturally, to be all wet spiritually. It's the polar opposite of that, of those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on that law, meditate on his word day and night. Now, I find it helpful when we're thinking about this psalm by looking at this very clear contrast and then considering it from the perspective of the opposite of what it says, of those described as righteous or godly, depending on your translation. So before we take a closer look at this, I want to read this psalm again, this time from a different version, the New Living, just to give us a little more to think about here. Psalm 1, starting with verse 1, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So the psalmist starts this by saying, one who does not have certain attitudes and behaviors is blessed, that this is the one who has joy and happiness or is blessed. But let's look at the opposite perspective again. The person who does walk in the counsel of the wicked is not blessed. That's what this psalm tells us. Walking in the counsel of the wicked cannot make us truly happy. Standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, these things are recipes for pretty much guarantees for unhappiness. And worse still, they inevitably lead to eternal destruction. So what does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? Well, walk in simply means to live by, to live according to. So it's saying that the one who pays attention, who listens to, maybe even seeks out the values, the advice, the counsel, the ungodly emphasis of the life of those who are wicked is not blessed, is not happy. Counsel's advice, basically, isn't it? To whom do we listen for advice? To whom do we listen and seek advice from? It's a question we would do well to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Sadly, much of our culture seems to care a lot about what this movie or this TV star or music or sports star says. And the celebrities of our culture have a lot to say about a lot of things, don't they? As if they are scholars on everything. 
Of course, they have opinions, just like we do, okay, on politics, on social issues, on religion, on morality, and they're just as entitled to those opinions as we are. But the problem is, many people seem to think that because they're famous, their opinions somehow carry greater weight. Not just the celebrities think this, so do many in our culture. Why else would you see all these uh, websites and online stories and television programs that highlight, here's what this person thinks about this issue of the day. Perhaps one good example to mention, just happens to be a little bit timely on this particular Sunday, which is the day before the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision that made abortion legal, and that would be movie star Mark Ruffalo. Now, some of you would know him as Bruce Banner. He's the Hulk in the Marvel movies, okay? He's quoted as saying this, There was no mistake in us making abortion legal and available on demand. This was what we call progress. There's nothing to be ashamed of here except to allow a radical and recessive group of people, that would be us, to bully and intimidate our mothers and sisters and daughters for exercising their right of choice. Let me tell you, folks, that's the counsel of the wicked because abortion is unquestionably wicked. Of course, celebrities and public figures are decidedly in support of same-sex marriage. Here's a headline from the Los Angeles Times. Celebrities are overwhelmingly jubilant about same-sex marriage ruling. And that was followed by a long list of tweets celebrating the ruling. Surprise. We could highlight dozens of cultural and social issues and find well-known public figures in politics, entertainment, sports, and business who are very vocal and very public with their opinion. But the point here is, to whom will we listen? What or who will tell us that we're wet? Who or what will be our counselor, our advisor? With whom will we stand? Will we stand in the way of sinners? The one who is not righteous in Christ does stand in the way of sinners. Where will we sit? Will we sit in the seat of mockers. Will we join them? That's what that means. Will we join them in their mockery? The one who does not delight in and meditate on God's word does sit in the seat of mockers, joins right in with the mocking. Now, the truth is we don't face real persecution in America right now, at least yet. But mockery of the Christian faith is very common, and it's becoming more and more acceptable in our culture. It's very hard to find a TV program or a movie that doesn't mock believers. And if Christians are depicted at all, they're often depicted by creating caricatures that don't reflect real faith. In other words, when you see a Christian on TV or in a movie, uh, you say, I don't know anybody like that, right? Because we know people who reflect true faith in their lives. It's the same group of celebrities whose counsel is being listened to. So, in other words, those described in verse 1 of Psalm 1 as the wicked are essentially many of the same people the same verse describes as mockers. Let me give you just a few examples. How about mocking the Word of God? Ricky Gervais. It's almost as if the Bible was written by racist, sexist, homophobic, violent, sexually frustrated men instead of a loving God. Weird. How about mocking the forgiveness that's central to our faith? Actress Kira Knightley. It's absolutely extraordinary. If only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You'd just ask for forgiveness, and then you'd be forgiven. 
She's not stating that as the amazing thing that we celebrate when we come to the Lord's Supper. She's mocking it, folks. And how about the creator of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, mocking the character of God when he says we must question the story logic of having an all-knowing and all-powerful God who creates faulty humans and then blames them for his own mistakes. Now, I'm a fan of Star Trek movies. I can separate this kind of thing, okay? But we have to remember that when we consume these things, are we going to join them? Are we going to join in their mocking? Or are we going to be able to say, hey, I recognize this to be the truth, and I recognize this to not be the truth. Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So again, looking at this from the perspective of the opposite of those described as righteous, we look at verse 2, and this is the key in Psalm 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the unrighteous, the wicked, the sinner, the mocker is not like those who are blessed. Why? Because he does not delight in the law of the Lord, God's word. The unrighteous, the wicked, the sinner, the mocker does not meditate on God's word day and night. In fact, just the opposite, as we've seen here, they mock God's word. Not believing God's word to me is a scary enough thing all by itself. Mocking it seems to take that wickedness to another level. Now how about this uh, related to our opening analogy? How does a fish know he's wet? Okay, These people, and of course celebrities are only the most visible of these, Okay, because our neighbors, our coworkers, our schoolmates, our teammates, some of them might fall into the very same category. But these people described in Psalm 1, this is, the word, this is what the Word says, as the wicked, they're sinners, they're scoffers, they're mockers. They don't know what they're swimming in. They don't know what they're swimming in. They don't know that they're all wet. Why don't they know this? They have no revelation outside themselves to tell them. They have nothing outside themselves. All they have is their own feelings and what the rest of the world tells them and they're getting the same stuff from themselves, right? Because they're swimming in the world, they never realize they're wet. So they ignore God's word, they neglect it, they mock it. They're as far from delighting in it as you can get. They'd never consider meditating on it unless they were seeking some way to undermine the word of God. The only way we know, okay, so we're not any better than them, okay, The only way we know we're swimming in the wickedness of the world, and in fact are wicked ourselves, apart from the redemption of being in Christ, is because God's Word reveals that reality to us. We realize from God's Word that we are made for Him. We are made to serve Him. We are made to glorify Him. We realize from God's Word that there is a path to righteousness, And it's only and it's exclusively through Christ. He sets us on that path, even as we continue to swim in the world's wetness, because we're in the world, folks. We realize from God's Word that friendship with the world is not conducive to a strong faith. 1 John chapter 2, familiar verse, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is what swimming in the world looks like. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. But the truth is none of us would know that we are wet, using that analogy, without God's word. We'd be just as oblivious to the reality of these spiritual truths as everybody else. Like a fish is oblivious to the fact that it's swimming in water and it's all wet. We might be blissfully ignorant, or we're probably also suffering at least some of the consequences of neglecting God's word, just swimming along thinking that this is all there is, until one day maybe a fisherman comes along and he hooks us and he draws us out of the water to show us that we're wet. And if by God's grace that fisherman is a fisher of men, as Jesus said he would make his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he's going to show us our need for God's grace. He's going to show us our need for God's redemption. And he's going to show us how to swim in the world without getting its wetness on us all the time. And then he's going to throw us back into the world, back into the water, right? But back in the water, we're then going to realize, because we have the word, that we're swimming in wet, we're in desperate need of God's grace because we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, illuminating the truths of God's Word, revealing the reality of God's plan of redemption, convicting us of sin, but also showing us how to stay dry even when we're swimming in the water. And as we move further on in Psalm 1, again, considering these verses from the perspective of the wicked, it's even more sobering. Let's review from the top again, and let's move down the list. We looked at verse 1, and we see that the unrighteous do walk in the counsel of the wicked. We see also in verse 1, we see that they do stand in the way of sinners. We see that they join right in, and they sit in the same seating section as the scoffers and the mockers. We've seen in verse 2 that they do not delight in God's Word or meditate on it at all let alone day and night. Again, still looking at this from the perspective of the unrighteous, we see in verse 3 that they are not planted by streams of water. We see that because of this, they do not yield fruit and their leaf withers. You know what happens to a tree when it doesn't get water, right? They turn brown and they start dropping off the tree. They have no staying power. They may do some good things, but they're like the chaff that the wind blows away because they're not planted by the right stream of water, and that water is the water of the Word of God. Now, I realize I'm mixing metaphors here, so I hope it's not too confusing to you. So let me not stretch the point of the opening analogy, how do we know we're wet, too far. The point is, we know we're wet, we know we are sinners desperately in need of God's grace, only because the Holy Spirit reveals it to us through God's precious Word. We know how to live our lives righteously in Christ. Again, because God reveals it to us in His Word. This is why, folks, this is why we delight in His Word. It's our dose of reality, folks. It's our dose of reality. And if we're swimming and we don't know we're wet, we don't get reality. We don't get true spiritual reality. This is why we must be constant in our pondering 
our thinking, our reading, our studying of his word. The word, like Google, doesn't tell us everything there is to know about everything. It doesn't tell us anything about how to create a PowerPoint for your sermon. Anything about how to build television screens so you can see the points. Just two examples. But it tells us everything we need to know to be saved from eternal death or from perishing or destruction, as Psalm 1-6 tells us. It also tells us how to serve him. It tells us how to live righteously in Christ. Apart from his word, Psalm tells us, no one will ultimately prosper. Any prosperity one might have in this life is like chaff that the wind blows away. It also means the unrighteous will be judged. The unrighteous will perish. A key thing to remember is that even though we teach here at TCF, we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, that this is truly God's Word to us, we must consistently examine our own hearts to see do our lives match up with what we say we believe. That has to do with how do you know you're wet. When we look at the contrast painted in this psalm, that's the result of a life lived of regularly, faithfully soaking in the water of the word rather than in the water of the world. When we see here that we do delight in God's word, when we do meditate on it day and night, that we'll be like that tree that bears fruit, that tree whose leaf does not wither because it has the source, that stream of water that it's planted by constantly. When we understand that, this should be reason enough that we want to regularly evaluate our devotional habits and our heart toward God's Word. Fish don't know they are wet. So too, when we walk in the counsel of the wicked, when we stand in the way of sinners, when we sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers, we don't know we're swimming in the water of the world. So how do we know we are wet? We read about reality in the Word. The Word is a clear picture of spiritual reality. What's more, we learn about reality from our church community. That's pretty important, but only because it's a word-centered church community, hearing the word preached and taught. And not just that, but seeing it lived out, seeing it practiced. You know, we talk about the word being our authority for faith and practice. Practice is what you do with what you believe. We see it lived out among our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why community is so important. It's not just me and Jesus and the Word, folks. We need to work these things out in a practical way in community. So the Word is our authority for our faith and for how we live out our faith in the world. You know, it occurred to me that this really does relate to this renewed theme of evangelism that we have here at TCF, and it's been an emphasis here for each of the last three Sundays in our uh, Sunday message and in the fifth Sunday, the last Sunday of December. We are his witnesses. We are to be fishers of men. But without ourselves being grounded in his word, we will be ineffective. We will be. Without realizing we're wet, without realizing we're sinners in need of God's grace, without seeing how much the world's counsel, the world's mocking, the world's sin has compromised us and has the potential to compromise us, we won't look or act any differently than the rest of the world. And you know what? It's interesting. 
That bothers us, doesn't it? That bothers us. We want to look like the rest of the world. We want to dress like them. We want to like the same music. We want to like the same movies, right? We ha- we, we're concerned about that. But the Word of God is not that concerned about it. We're not supposed to look like the rest of the world. Now, I'm not saying we sh- should dress differently. I mean, you know, these things are not that important. I'm saying, why are we so concerned about this? Why are we so concerned about looking like the rest of the world, especially when it comes to what we believe and how we live that out? How we dress is very external, and the Lord looks at the heart, right? So think about that. We are as witnesses, but if we're not grounded in the word, we'll be ineffective without seeing how much the world compromises us. This psalm presents an absolutely clear contrast between the one, on the one hand, who is rooted and grounded in God's word, and on the other hand, the one who's not. So without being established in his word, you know what? We don't have anything to offer anyone. But when we do delight in his word, we're like that tree that bears fruit. We tend to think of prosperity in material terms. But the Word of God views prosperity quite differently. If we delight in His Word, if we meditate on it day and night, Psalm 1-3 says, We'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all He does, He prospers. Now, could it be that this fruit that we're talking about here is at least in part the fruit of souls? The fruit of souls impacted by our witness. We are his witnesses, and we're going to witness one way or the other. We're going to witness to the faithfulness and the grace and the redemption of God, or we're going to witness to the reality that he doesn't make any difference in our lives. Could it be that prospering here is prospering in something like our service of the king, maybe even our evangelistic witness for Christ? I think it's much more likely that the kind of prospering that we're seeing here is in relationship to that fruit yielded in season, then it means we get material things. I think we can all agree that in our world, things have changed significantly in our culture in recent years, right? And I think we can mostly agree much of it has not been for the better. As followers of Jesus, here's the truth. We are more countercultural today than we have ever been before. The things we claim to believe and the consequences of living out those beliefs put us at odds with an ever-growing segment of our society. So we must guard very carefully those things in our lives that we allow to make us into the kind of people we are and the kind of people we're becoming. We must not allow the counsel of the wicked. We must not allow the way of sinners or the mocking crowd to shape the way we think or the way we behave. We must be more careful than ever to keep the Word of God as our primary influencer. Not movies, not TV, not music, not books, not social media, not politics, not co-workers, not friends, or even family. Not that there's anything wrong, there are some, but Not that there's everything wrong with all those things, okay? But they can't be our primary influencer. That's what we're after here today. On his word, we must meditate day and night. 
It must be central in our lives because his word shapes us, folks. When we are in his word, it shapes us. It penetrates our hearts. It reveals our sin. What else is going to reveal your sin? It leads us to repentance. It motivates us to serve. It motivates us to witness. It keeps us bearing fruit for his kingdom. I want to read a quote, and this quote actually focuses on churches. But let me say that I believe this applies to churches that have the word of God as their center. And here it is. If Christians are truly to be the church in this cultural moment, churches must become institutions that shape both who and whose we are. Pastors, parents, mentors, and educators must see education and discipleship as more than instructive. They must commit to establishing identity and loyalty. So applying this to Psalm 1, the Word of God is central to establishing both our identity in Christ and our loyalty to Him and what He's revealed to us in His Word. If we at TCF are going to fulfill what Gordon presented last week so well as our God-given responsibility to be salt and light in an increasingly hostile world, we must express and we must demonstrate a different value system from our society. And this can only be worked in us through regular, consistent delighting in God's Word and the changes that His Word brings to us as individuals and as a body of Christ here in Tulsa. A man named Daryl Miller of Disciples Nations Alliance is right. He wrote this, if the church does not disciple the nations, the nations will disciple the church. That's pretty sobering. I don't know about you guys. God's people are distinct from the world, but they must practice their discipleship in their daily lives that they live within their nations or else not at all. More specifically, related to this morning's message, if we do not allow the word to disciple us, disciple means teacher, it means learner, right? Okay, so if we do not allow the word to teach us, we do not allow the word to mold us and to shape us, the world will do that job in us just fine. We must allow the word to be the shaping influence of our attitudes and our behaviors. To be fruitful in our efforts to win the lost, we must shore up the foundation, folks. And that means we must be rooted in the word and in this church that teaches us the Word. I think as we begin this new year, here we are still in the first month of the new year, I think a good question for us to ask is this, what is shaping me? What is shaping me? What is making me? What is changing me? Is it the counsel of the wicked? Is it? Or is it regularly washing ourselves in the water of the Word? In closing, I want to read a couple verses that reinforce these thoughts. They're familiar, but they're a good way, I think, to uh, put a cap on this this morning. First of all, Psalm 119, 116 says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And then a verse that was actually prophesied over me by Chuck Farah probably 38 years ago. And he said, this will be a key verse for you. And let me let you 
listen to this here a second and see if you think that might be for you as well. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Amen? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the molding and shaping influence of your word in our lives. We're grateful, Father, that you were so gracious and merciful to give us your word with such great clarity about how to know you, how to follow you, and how to serve you. So, Lord, we do pray that we would not be those who stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. We would not be those who listen in any way to the counsel of the wicked. But, Lord, may your word, may your law, may your commandments be our joy. May we delight in them, Father God, and may we meditate on them. May we run them over again and again in our minds till they penetrate our hearts and make a difference in what we believe and how we behave, how we act on those beliefs. Father, we pray that this would truly be foundational in all of our lives in such a way that you would make us into fruitful and effective servants who follow you and witness to your greatness, witness to your redemptive acts in our lives. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bill, for a 